0: Dirt Radio Organic Friends of the Earth Activism Underground Political Action Necessary Wind Farms Indigenous Struggles Land Rights Anti-Nuclear Nanotechnology Climate Change Coal barons, Mining Magnets Activists, educating communities, transforming communities,
1: mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now! Friends Friends of the Earth, Friends of the Earth, Friends of the Earth, Dirt Radio. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Dirt Radio. This is Phil Evans joining you live on the airways on 3CR, coming from Stolen Land on the Kulin Nation. Today we've got an amazing guest with us, someone who is a huge source of uh, inspiration for the activism that um, I've done in my life. Um, She is uh, fresh over from WA. We've got Nicola Paris from Counteract. Um, We're going to talk today a little bit about the Belia Wetlands campaign and the No uh, No Row 8 campaign uh, that was over in Western Australia. Um, it was an amazing uh, campaign of um, civil disobedience and community action. Um, a real, uh, real eye-opener for a lot of people over there to uh, some new ideas and new tactics. Um, however, coming out of it, there was a uh, some criticism of the policing involved. And Counteract and uh, the Belia Legal Support Team uh, actually engaged in a survey of over 200 community members and found that over 100 of them had actually had a negative uh, reaction to policing over there. So, joining us in the studio is the one and only Nicola Paris. Good morning, Nicola.
0: Good morning, Phil. Thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. For our listeners, I was wondering if you would be able to uh, let us know a little bit about the Belia Wetlands campaign and um, what was going on with that.
0: Sure. So I was only involved in the last uh, couple of years, helping out a little bit, and more recently in the last uh, few months from about December uh, 2016 onwards. Um, but the campaign's been going on for upwards of uh, 30, uh, 20 to 30 years, really. And it's been various iterations of trying to expand the road uh, system in the south uh, of Perth. And what happened a couple of years ago was the Turnbull government offered to put money into uh, this project, the Perth uh, Freight Link, and basically they magicked up a project, um, fudged some numbers and went ahead with um, this proposed uh, destruction of these wetland areas um, with a huge community dissent um, and that sort of rapidly mobilised over the... Uh, preceding few years um, and sort of reached a, a critical fever pitch uh, last year um Uh, In 2015, they had a successful Supreme Court challenge uh, to stop the project from um, going ahead on legal grounds, uh, that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, hadn't followed its own advice. Uh, The government successfully challenged that, unfortunately, uh, and argued that they shouldn't have to follow their own advice, which, of course, is an excellent political and legal argument. And uh, as a result of that, work commenced on the site in 2016, late 2016. So then we moved into the frontline front line phase of the campaign uh, where a lot of community involved in civil disobedience uh, to resist the um, destruction of the wetlands.
1: Yeah, sure. And uh, kind of to jump forward in time a little bit, I know there's just been a state election over there and it really became a huge hot issue. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how the election unfolded in context of the campaign?
0: Yeah, certainly. So at the time uh, when the the work first started in uh, December, uh, it wasn't really considered to be an election issue, and it was really the mobilisation of hundreds and thousands of people on the site that firstly pushed the ALP to come out with a stronger policy. Similar to what happened with the East-West Link here, they said that they would rip up the contracts. Prior to that, uh, they had been... Uh, critical of the road project but had not given any clear indication that they would uh, intervene and cancel it if they got into government uh, because they were supposedly worried about the, you know, the financial loss and compensation issues. So... uh, I think what happened is the, uh, the direct action on the ground and the really, really strong community resistance actually catalyzed the ALP, realising that they, they needed to respond and it was actually a bigger issue that they, than they had anticipated. And so they, they did, I presume, do some testing on the issue and they came out quite strongly. And interestingly, Colin Barnett seemed to think that that was actually going to be a winner for him, mm. and uh, whereas it actually turned into uh, an election... Uh, Like a vote changer in a number of seats, and we believe contributed to the landslide uh, that the ALP experienced.
1: Sure. So the uh, the the election of the ALP. uh, What sort of outcome did that mean for the actual campaign itself? Did the the, has the road construction stopped now?
0: Yes. So the ALP have been uh, good in some respects in that they uh, did. adhere to their promise. Um, it was actually one of the very first things that Premier Mark McGowan did uh, on the day he started uh, the job is he? Um, they had obviously been doing some prep work in anticipation and they said that they would uh, rip up the contracts and cease work and, and that did immediately stop on the, on that first Monday and that was a huge relief to the community campaigners because we weren't really sure what would happen. People were pre- preparing to still cons- continue with direct action as needed. And instead, um, you know, they sort of got a huge sense of relief and uh, the ALP have stepped up and they've been engaged in community consultation with a group called the Community Wildlife Corridor. So people who were involved in the campaign have now gone on to work with the government to try and develop the space that was destroyed into community green space that can be enjoyed by everybody.
1: Well, that's um, sounds like a, the lesser of uh, evil outcomes. Are not necessarily the best. Um, I was wondering if uh, you could go into a little bit of detail on what sort of actions actually um, took part uh, or took place uh, to protect those wetlands.
0: Sure. So it was actually a very technically difficult area to try and um, stop work in. Um, the the government. Uh, Through a lot of resources uh, at the at the campaign, and um, had deployed a significant amount of police. So there was actually a report that came out in. Uh, the last couple of months that said over 100 police were deployed most days to the site uh, and the site moved around. So it was um, a road project around um, the up area near Fremantle in Western Australia and there were a lot of different little pieces of land that would sort of be fenced off and the police would surround. Community activists would try to get in there and um, stop work by uh, locking onto trees or um, machines Um, or just trying to occupy the site, Um, but it was actually very difficult and the police were expecting a lot of the tactics that people tried and, uh, as such, actually made it a a very challenging kind of terrain for people to work in, and in particular because the community were quite inexperienced and they actually hadn't. uh, Most people involved, in fact, the survey that we did um, uh, demonstrated uh, what we thought to be true was that most people involved hadn't really been involved in much political protest before so we were talking about hundreds of people who've never done this kind of thing actually stepping up and dealing with uh, really high conflict situations and trying to breach fences and get in to to stop work uh, in the face of hundreds of police so it was pretty amazing stuff.
1: Sure. And it was a pretty amazing color and movement to watch from afar. Uh, It kind of was reminiscent of uh, forest campaigning, uh, but happening really like a really almost in the heart of the city. Uh, I know the Bilia wetlands is up near Bibra Lakes, kind of area near Adventure World. For anyone who's been to Perth might know that as a, a kind of landmark to get a bit of context about where people are. One of the favourite actions that I remember was uh, there was a group of people who decided to get naked um, and protest uh, over there. Can you tell us a little bit about that protest and how that went?
0: Sure. So, um, one of the young women who was up a tree uh, called Emma had decided that in order to delay being uh, taken down by search and rescue, that she would strip off and... um, Uh, make herself incredibly difficult to handle. So she um, uh, apparently gave the people who were down on the ground supporting her um, a great deal of amusement um, and stripped all her clothes off and was lying there uh, on the tree um, waiting for the police to come and rescue her and so that necessitated a female police officer to come and deal with her. And um, she had a grand old time and everyone who was watching had a grand old time and um, apparently that delayed her extraction significantly.
1: wow! I'd love to hear a little bit uh, about creativity in action, and uh, certainly one there. What sort of people were taking part? You mentioned that um, there were a lot of people who were new to taking part in action. Um, What sort of people? Were there any sort of particular demographics that you noticed in the protest group?
0: Yes. So, in a survey that we did, um, we had 209 respondents. And it was quite diverse in terms of in terms of age range. Um, the majority were probably older, so we we're looking at uh, forty five f- yeah, so yeah forty five to fifty four years there was about thirty percent twenty one percent thirty five to forty four years and um, fifty five to sixty five was twenty percent and then um, smaller. Uh, denominations as you as you went down there was also a significant small but significant group of teenagers um, that were participating so people who'd grown up in the area whose parents were potentially active and who also um, were active a a couple of the schools in the area had a a number of students that actually participated and uh, just uh, yesterday actually Murdoch University put out a media release talking about the law students that in turn had supported the young teenage activists Uh, with their cases uh, when they went before the courts. So it was was really interesting. There was 80 different occupations that were represented Mm. uh, when we actually surveyed uh, and asked who was involved. And so it was really, uh, it was definitely not, uh, despite the government's efforts to marginalise the protesters, it was definitely not an easily marginalised group. There was um, very mainstream people involved, many of whom I'd say more than half had not participated in protest at all, or if so, only occasionally, like possibly had been to a street march. So it was a really interesting group of people, um, a lot of local people, but also people that were travelling from all over the regional area to, uh, to get there to support the campaign.
1: Sure, and we're talking to Nicola Paris from Counteract about the Belia Wetlands protest, uh, protest over in WA and also a subsequent report that has come out damning um, the police actions in response to those protests. Um, we'll continue this conversation after a few community announcements.
0: Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food.
1: Hi, my name's Paul. I've- of my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. La, la, la,
0: la, la, la,
1: la, Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience.
0: A 3CR supporter. We're talking about
1: Hello, this is Dan Salton and you're listening to 3CR Blackfellow Radio, Melbourne. And you're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR. Just a reminder to uh, our listeners that uh, Radiothon is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Um, So it's time to uh, whip out those subscriber cards. Think about making a donation to make uh, sure that the Radio for Change that you find on 3CR continues to operate. Don't forget you can subscribe anytime by giving us a call on 039419. 039419. 8377, it's $70 wage, $35 pensioner concession, and $130 solidarity and organisations. So make sure you get in and amongst it. We're joined in the studio today by Nicola Paris, who is from Counteract, a uh, fantastic organisation about training for change and, and advocacy skills and we 're discussing the uh, the Bielia Wetlands no Row Eight campaign that uh, recently occurred over in Western Australia and a report that uh, Counteract and the Bealia Legal Support team recently put together uh, kind of condemning the police actions and, uh, and uh, in response to uh, the community uh, community survey that uh, found that over one hundred uh, people had a negative experience. So, Nicola, I was wondering, could you give us a little bit of a feeling about what the police presence was like on the ground? You mentioned that it was a large mobilisation, but what was the general uh, kind of vibe of the thing like?
0: So, um, it was a really large police presence. There was uh, over 100 uh, officers on the ground most days, and, and also on days when that was absolutely unnecessary, so potentially when there was just a handful of community activists there. So the police presence came in very hard and, and um, in large numbers right from early on. Uh, I think that, I mean, it, it's tricky to know exactly what's happening behind closed doors, but there was a very strong sense in the community, and certainly that was reflected in the community survey, that the police had come in uh, very hard. Um, Normally the police are allowed to demonstrate a certain level of discretion when dealing with community non-violent protest, and we didn't see much of it, to be honest. We saw police arresting people for trespass in very early stages when traditionally people would have been given warnings, and we saw over the period of time uh, as increased frustrations uh, occurred on the ground, um, both with activists and police, that there was a really punitive approach, I guess you'd say, taken by police and that they uh, really treated the community as if they were the enemy. Uh, They were um, uh, consistently aggressive, consistently um, giving misleading information, treating people as if they had done something wrong when they were simply there to uh, demonstrate peaceful resistance and we saw patterns of behaviour that were really unhealthy, including senior officers in charge, uh, directing uh, quite aggressive approaches, and also being involved in um, uh, assaults themselves, to be honest.
1: And in the report itself, uh, some of the examples that are cited are, to be honest, truly really disturbing to uh, to hear that they're happening um, in, a, in Australian society. Um you kind of isolate out three areas uh, in the report uh, of issues around policing. the first one was around over policing. I wonder if you could break down with a few examples uh, what you mean by that
0: sure so uh, it was just the, the 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 sheer numbers on the ground mainly that we 're talking about um, as well as the uh, presence of the um Uh, the regional operations group which are used in a public order type capacity in Western Australia. So they were were there in force. Um, uh, They were there when it was unnecessary for the large numbers to be there and um, they were, um, you know, quite arbitrary in how they moved people along the perimeters that they set Um, you could be standing on a hillside at one minute and you'd be allowed to be there and the next minute there would be a directive that you were committing trespass if you were there so they were basically sort of overextending their power and um, you know confusing the community as well as acting in a bit of an aggressive manner.
1: Sure. And in that confusion, um, you mentioned also that there was a sense of misrepresentation um, by police. Can you elaborate on that?
0: I think any experienced activist is well aware that uh, there can be patterns of behaviour with the police where they're not exactly honest. Uh, And we did see that uh, regularly. Um, We saw uh, them giving Um, false information about why and how people had to move on in certain areas. Um, Move-on notices which were successfully pushed back on here in um, Victoria in WA have been in force for a number of years and uh, the police used them uh, to the maximum effect that they could, essentially using them to... Uh, restrict people's rights of peaceful assembly and so they would direct people away for 24 hours. So so there were people, uh, to give you a sense of the the really arbitrary nature of the policing, there were people who were directed to... um, Stay outside a prescribed zone, um, and that prescribed zone might well have included uh, their partner's house, for example. Um, There were people who were told that they weren't allowed to drive on main roads through their own community. Uh, And, um, you know, some people were told that, you know, very conflicting information as well.
1: Mm, and I I, I uh, imagine that uh, police name badges would have been an issue um, in, in that sort of policing environment. Um, so often in protest, uh, many people who've been at uh, any sort of action where police have gone a little bit over the top know that uh, if you see an officer without a name badge on, then <laughs> it's time to start worrying. Was there much of that sort of behaviour? That
0: Yes, we did see uh, a pattern of that pretty much in terms of... Uh- you know, the kind of thing that we see in every large-scale protest in this country. Um, And we saw uh, officers giving very um, differing examples about their responses about whether or not they had to wear name badges. So they are required to wear name badges. It actually states that in their uh, community protocols. And um, when people asked for them, they were um, given, you know, um, sometimes the police showed them, other times they didn't. Uh, And in terms of community trust, it was just very lacking um, when they weren't even uh, able to be identified.
1: Sure. And uh, most disturbing in the report are the reports of violent acts by police. Um, It's something that we never want to really uh, see happen uh, especially in the face of non-violent resistance against these sorts of projects that community don't want. Um, Just to warn um, uh, listeners that uh, we will be discussing some activist trauma or uh, things that may trigger uh, a sense of uh, distress in some people if they've been involved in actions but I'm wondering Nicola would you be able to uh, to go through some of those violent acts?
0: Sure. Um, The first thing to acknowledge at the beginning, and one thing that was really interesting, when we did the community survey, we didn't ask a specific question about what people had witnessed in relation to Aboriginal participants, but unprompted, we had more than a dozen responses of people that talked about how they saw Aboriginal activists treated quite differently. So local Noongar mob and other mob that were involved uh, were often targeted and picked out. Uh, they, uh, There was an instance on one large mass protest day where an elderly uh, custodian was tackled to the ground quite violently. At the time, he actually had a colostomy bag which split um, and he was on his way to hospital that afternoon um, for surgery. And so he was tackled in a really violent manner and we saw uh, many people uh, actually saying, uh, you know, in a, in a really well-meaning way that they understood for the first time uh, what Aboriginal people, you know, may partly experience in terms of how they are uh, subject to uh, extra-violent policing. We saw a, a huge rage of uh, what we would argue is unlawful use of force. We saw the senior officer in charge actually say to a young teenager stop or I'll shoot. He was referring to a taser, um, but tasers were used against protocol uh, to threaten young people. Um, We've got at least four instances of tasers being used unlawfully uh, to threaten and scare people. They're not allowed to be used unless there is an imminent threat of bodily injury. Uh, We saw pepper spray deployed on a 65-year-old woman. We saw people tackled very heavily, and we actually saw police horses, this was documented on video, trampling people. Um, a couple of people experienced injuries. One young man got a injury to his eye and a scar that he'll be left with for life.
1: Sure. And we're talking to Nicola Paris uh, from Counteract about a report uh, recently uh, uh- uh, submitted and uh, um, created by herself, uh, Counteract, and the Belia legal support team, really detailing some of the disturbing and uh, um, acts of violence that uh, had been betray- uh, being done by the West Australian police during the campaign to protect the Belia wetlands from the Row 8 highway extension. Um, Nicola, it's a um, it's an amazing body of work, and um, and thanks to everyone to Put it together, and there's a great series of recommendations that come out of it. Um, I'm not going to list through them now, but I do encourage people to jump onto counteract.org.au where they can read the full report. Um, How else can people support uh, the ongoing push to make sure that there is some change out of this uh, experience?
0: Yes, so what we're calling on is for the police minister to take these uh, accusations seriously and to investigate fully. So we're actually asking for a Corruption and Crime Commission inquiry. Um, the co- police commissioner is outgoing and he's been very dismissive um, on uh, these issues. So we're actually saying that we've got a new ALP government. They can rewrite how they involve uh, community um in how they engage with community protest uh, and we want uh, a, a proper inquiry that's not done by police, investigating police as is the usual case, um, to, to really investigate that. So we'll be putting up a lobbying tool on the Counteract website today mm-hmm. um, to encourage people to use that. I'd also say that locally here um, uh, I work with the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Um group and um, community legal activism is really important um, and legal observers uh, in terms of um, working to protect rights. Uh, so that's another group people could get involved in.
1: Sure. And if people are interested in learning more about um, the mechanics of direct action and how it works, I know you've got a training coming up soon.
0: Yes. Yeah, so on May 27th, uh, 9.30 to 4.30, I've got a full day's training. Um, It's pitched towards climate activists, but everybody is welcome, and that will go through a range of skills that you need to participate safely and effectively in non-violent direct action.
1: Sure um, Really it is so important to get along And learn those skills um, We've seen um, how dangerous it can be But uh, when done safely And when, uh, when our community work together It's a powerful force We know that uh, we can uh, prevail over these issues And see some really good environmental outcomes uh, We'll be back in just one moment This is David Rovix And you are tuned to 3CR 8.55 a.m melbourne australia step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true that if all the people work collectively there just might be something we can do and everything can change What a great show. Uh, Such a privilege to have uh, someone like Nicola Paris in the studio. Um, A really interesting uh, subject matter. Do make sure you jump on to uh, counteract.org.au and check out that report. Um, We've also shared that on the Dirt Radio Facebook page. So um, if you jump onto Facebook and search for Dirt Radio, make sure you like us so you can follow what's going on uh, coming up on the show and how you can get more involved with the issues that our guests. Come in and talk about each week Coming up at Friends of the Earth We've got a few exciting events coming up there's, uh, on Thursday, there is the new Forest Collective having a meeting, so uh, joining with the Goongaroo Environment Centre and the Wildlife of the Central Highlands groups, uh, Friends of the Earth are looking at how we can better support those campaigns from the city, and uh, we will all be getting together to have a chat to see how that goes, so if you're interested in forest campaigning and what you can do about it, make sure you head along to Friends of the Earth uh, about 6 o'clock on Thursday, May 18th. So this Thursday, make sure you head on down. Also, I know coming up in the Northern Territory, I often um, try to sneak in a little bit about the uh, the campaign against the Northern Territory pipeline, the no- the Northern Gas Pipeline that Jamina are planning to build. Their approvals have gone ahead. Unfortunately, they have been given the license by the NT government to build the pipeline. So there has been a call out from the Arid Land Environment Centre for from from Lock the Gate, from all the mob up in Northern Territory to actually get on the phone and let my gunner know that you're not happy about it. I'm going to share that link up on Dirt Radio after the show as well. So make sure you jump on and get on the phone and make a phone call because it really does make a difference when community members uh, speak up and let politicians know that they're not happy about the decisions that they make.